This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Guys, welcome to this bonus episode of Pulp Kitchen. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, we post full episodic episodes of Pulp Kitchen. Episodic episodes? Episodic episodes. Yes, thank you. Of Pulp Kitchen every single Wednesday. George, in the main episode, we did. Yes, in episode 111, 111, we did The Holdovers Mm -hmm. and One Life. So go and check that out if you haven't already. This bonus episode, I'm going to be talking about two films, Poor Things which you reviewed, when was that now? Is it a while? December. Does that, okay, not that long ago. So I would say in the mid 100s, like, it might be 105 or something. You'll be on the feed. You I'll it. be catching up. Go and check out George's full review of that if you haven't seen it already. Plus, I'll be talking about new horror film called Night Swim. A horror film in January. That with, must be good. <laughs> a horror film called Night Swim. Okay, so George, this actually is a film that I went to go see with my friend Amy, who works in horror, who loves a bit of horror, who's almost like, by her profession, contractually obliged to see basically all the horror, but sure. she's always good fun to go and see horror with. And... I thought, do you fancy it? Should we go and see it? And we'd seen that the reviews were like really poor, but we just thought, fuck it, we'll go and do it. It was a Sunday night. We'll have a good time. Night Swim is, uh, so let me just get up this detail because I think it's important. Night Swim was a film that, uh, so Blumhouse and Atomic Monster, who do The Conjuring and The Insidious Verse, I think have merged. And so this is their first film that they've put out as a together unit. So you've seen this sort of like consolidation from powerhouses in horror with James Wan and all of that. Um, and they sort of on the poster, it said from the studio that brought you the nun and Megan comes night swim. And I saw the nun too and Megan Mithrigan. And I, that doesn't inspire me with confidence. Mm. It's not the Paddington Harry Potter that one could go. No. Anyway, Night Swim stars Wyatt Russell, and it is all about a swimming pool that is evil. <laughs> this family, uh, Wyatt Russell plays a baseball player with his family who's forced to sort of uh, like withdraw from the sport because of an injury to his knee. It's really affecting his mental health, his relationships with his children, his wife. He's a sportsman who's not, you know, he's an athlete who's unable to perform. And they're on the hunt for a new house. You know, they need to find a place that's near to the hospital for all these regular checkups. You know, he's got this latest checkup. He said, look, your knees, it's not looking good. We can keep trying to do therapy, blah, blah, blah. Also stars Kerry Condon as his wife. And they're looking at this house and the realtor takes them to one and it's not quite right. But then as they're driving away, they see this listing. This house has got a for sale sign. And the realtor goes, oh, do you know what? I didn't know you were looking to buy. It's only to buy, but I'll take you in anyway. And they go in and it's spacious and it's nice, but it has this huge swim pool in the back garden and you know they end up buying the house and george this pool just solves all of their problems Mm. he's all of a sudden miraculously he's doing this like hydrotherapy and his knees getting better the the kids are getting their confidence and the mother's getting all these mental health swims and it's just everything's great but there's this sort of um (laughs) spiritual side of it where like the pool is sort of magically healing them Mm. like enticing them in 
Uh, it's it's completely wearing its Stephen King uh, sort of inspiration on its sleeve. One of the opening horror scenes is just basically it. It's, you know the it uh, paper boat that leads down into oh, yeah. the drain, and there's a monster looking through the the gutter. This has a really similar scene where it's actually one of those motorized toy boats oh, yeah. that draws in a young girl into the middle of the pool, and they lean over and and lean in. And look on paper. An evil swimming pool sounds really, really dumb. That sounds like a 4 a.m. idea. It, oh, God, so true. It, it, it is so dumb on paper. But you know what I tell you? It is actually way, way better. Really? It's, it's way it's marginally better as a film than I really thought it would be. You know what I think someone did? Someone was in a pool once. And you know when you're in like a sort of, like a sort of a leisure center pool and there's that gutter on the side that sometimes when the water slaps into it, it makes that stomachy guttural yeah. belching sound. Yeah. And I think someone who just finished a massive bong hit got, oh my God, this sounds like a monster. What if the pool was evil? Yeah. So totally dumb. And there's no, the film never sort of decides it's an evil demon that lives in the pool or it's one singular entity or one single fit. It's very vague. It's just like the pool itself is evil. And you know what? Within it, there are two, I think, really shit-hot horror sequences within that film. As in good? Good. Like, undeniably, this film yeah. is kind of trash, but there are two really distinctive scenes that I think work really well, and I'll tell you about one of them. The, girl, the parents go out for dinner, and the girl's like, I'm going to invite my crush from high school over, Brilliant. and they're playing Marco Polo in the pool. If you've seen the trailer, this is in the trailer. And the pool is evil, obviously, so the boy gets out of the pool playfully, as you would in Marco Polo, where that they're now alone in the swimming pool playing Marco Polo. And she's got her eyes closed, and she's going, Marco, and the boy's disappeared. And the camera keeps the focus on her, so everything else in the pool is dark. And you start, he's not saying things. She's like, you have to say Polo, Marco, Marco, and she swims further into the deep end. And the camera swings round. And for the first time, it shows you this sort of humanoid depiction of an evil that the pool could conjure. Yeah. And out of focus in the background, in darkness, is this horrible, wet, fat man waiting for her in the deep end. And she's blind, she's ah. slowly fingering down the pool towards... The, the thing and I'm like oh my god this is really horrifying you're in the middle of a swimming pool you can't get out blah 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 and she's like Marco 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 and then you just hear Polo and it just drags her onto the ground and you know what totally worked there's also this other moment where the mother's swimming and yeah. one time she looks out the pool nothing and then the next time there's just this faint blur of loads of like small shapely things watching her. Just a tiny second, huh. I thought, scary. The rest of the film's total trash. The right. rest of the film's total trash. But like I said with a couple of other films, with beer, with friends, yes. I really think Night Swim is enough. Yeah. I wouldn't look at the horrible review saying this film is trash. It, it's actually not that bad. It's good fun. Yeah. The, the haunted pool aspect works way better than on paper. Mm. There's one moment where Wyatt Russell is like, you know, we're a new family. Like we've moved into this area. The kids are strongly make friends. Why don't we have a big cookout? We'll have a big barbecue, invite all the kids to the pool. And I thought this should be good. Yeah, this yeah. should be good. And it was good. They get all the kids to the pool. The pool drives the fuck them all yeah. up. It's great. No way near as bad as it sounds with beer and with friends. I guarantee you'd have good fun. Fantastic. If you've seen Night Swim, uh, let us know your thoughts to hello at Pop Kitchen Podcast. One more thing. The ending sequence is just like total trash and not needed. It, sometimes I really want horror films to 
I, I've talked about I like final action sequences in horror films being really disappointing and yeah. unnecessary. Like you don't need action in a horror. Yeah. Sometimes I really wish the monster, the demon, the entity would win more. Mm. I don't like us defeating the horror. I think that actually takes the power out of the film. Mm. Let let them all die. Well, that's why I quite all... liked about spoilers ahead for a film that came out last year. Spoilers. Which film? Talk to me. Okay, yeah. So spoilers. Talk to me. Yeah, but that, <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but. Yes, that, I like that. That's why yeah. I about that ending. Something about it winning is more scary or, than... You kind of sacrifice something in order for it to win, but you kind of... You, you win something, yeah. the evil wins something. Yes, an exchange. Like mm. um, the final s- second of paranormal activity is the person screaming, like going into the camera and you, the audience, are destroyed. It's like, I know they made like 10 sequels to that film. I never saw it. But the, uh, the ending of that is powerful because it, they just get, you know, spoilers for paranormal activity one. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, Night Swim. Night Swim. Nowhere near as bad as it sounds. It is trash, though. And yes, James, you've been to see Poor Things, which Moving I went to, to see things. last year. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. for listeners who aren't aware, <laughs> we your did, line is already slow. We took a short intermission there for me to eat a lasagna, and yeah. I ate lasagna. I ate way too much, and <laughs> I'm already talking to James, and I can feel it. I can feel the warmth <laughs> within me. And I can feel meat. my brain siphoning off blood to my stomach to digest. And James, you've, I'd say you've got 20 minutes left to <laughs> So James, great. You went to see Poor Things. I think you've already seen this film. I'll get you to read emails later. Moving on to Poor Things. George, you can just sort of weekend at Bernie's the rest of the episode. Yorgos <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lanthimos' latest film. Uh, George reviewed it a few weeks ago on the podcast and gave a wonderful intro and preface that film. Please go and check that out. I will briefly tell you about Poor Things. Uh, I recently watched The Lobster and I'd seen The Favourite. I haven't mm. seen all of Lanthimos, but I think I'd said recently I haven't necessarily fully 100% clicked yes, with a Lanthimos film yet. And I know so many people have recommended me different ones and I'm yet, I'm yet to do them all. This one is very hotly tipped for Oscar contenders, both Best Picture nominations for Best Supporting and Best Actor for Emma Stone. It is all about a character, it's based on a novel by Alistair Gray, a character called Bella, Bella Baxter. It is an epic sweeping, sort of coming of age story, but a sort of grand evolution of a woman from a child exploring the world it is very much about um you know what do i say about the possession and ownership of women about a woman realizing her place in the world dictated by men you know directed by men owned by men in all spheres of life the professional the marital the parental and it really sort of pushes to explore that we start with bella as a grown woman with the brain thoughts and demeanor of a baby raised by Willem Dafoe, who plays a character called Godwin, also who she calls God, mm. very much on the nose there. And after leaving her, we explore her through th- th- interacting with different people, globe trotting around the world. Yeah. If you see it, you know the film I'm talking about. Um, coming into this, um, I had had Talia saw it the day before me. Uh, in cinema, she went to go see it with her mum, and her mum absolutely loved it. And Talia said she really liked it, but she found lots of parts of it icky, but I tried not to sort of keep that in my mind. Here's what I liked. I thought the design and aesthetic yeah. of this film was just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, great. It's in not in such a long time have I been completely blown away by its design. If you've seen it, it's got this fantastical steampunk, gothic Victorian, but like opulent and bright color, color bleeds from the edges. Um, it's just completely unique and beautiful. I thought the Lisbon section in particular mm, yeah. just blew me away. Uh, the, the crooked angles and the way in which the camera and the cinematography lended itself to shooting that space, breathtaking. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, and, and all of the other 
the performances to match it, I think are brilliant. It's a really funny farce of a movie. I was giggling mm. throughout the whole thing at all of these little jokes, and I thought they were really easy laughs. I don't mean easy for the direction. I mean, like, they were so easy for me to find funny, and I really did find it funny. I thought the performances were brilliant. I think Emma Stone is using that Lanthimos style, which mm. is very sort of arch, and well, we'll do this, and I'm going to tell the truth, and it's going to be very awkward. Oh, polite society. Mm. I think it just really works for this film, and I've connected emotionally more with this film than I have with the other two Lanthimos yes. that I've seen, whereas I think for a really long time, Lanthimos holds you at a distance, whereas like with Willem Dafoe's character, I felt a really sense of immediate connection to, mm. despite his what he looks like. He's yes. not a character that I thought I would be sympathetic to, but weirdly I was. Um, yeah, this film, look, it's, it's all about the ownership and, and, <laughs> and possession of women. And it goes on to make a lot of really broad claims. Mm. And the sex, all of, all of that I love, okay? The sex, it's just, I think this film is all of the other stuff I, I love. love. Full stop. Full the stop. Sex. I think this film is completely obsessed with sex, right? right? And I totally understand you've got this, you know, amazing coming of age tale, the exploration of the body, the exploration of what it means to be a woman. Uh, you've got all of these different men who have these very interesting relationships with Bella Baxter. And all of them are obsessive, possessive, wanting to manipulate and warp her in all sorts of different ways. And in the beginning of the film, the sex is there and we go from a sort of infantile state to masturbation while she's still in an infantile state, which I think for me was just a little bit jarring. And I get why the sex is there and I think it's a really important part of Bella Baxter's story. But parts of it did feel icky to me. And I was waiting to the end of the film, I think, to prove to me why sex was such an important part of this film or to make a grander point. And I can't help but think, especially in the Paris segments, is when I started to slightly lose my interest mm. in, its, in its discussion of sex. And I thought this, unfortunately for me, with that element of, of sex, just feels a little bit leery, a little bit um, juvenile, and like I thought this was a male sexual fantasy being portrayed on screen in some senses. There were particularly scenes in Paris. I was just like, why is this here? I find it very strange. I don't think it adds to the story. And that, that part of it just started to feel icky to me. Towards the end of the film, it creates a sort of, you talked about this sort of like second, third act that it has. Yeah. And it's, you think it's going to end and then it goes, oh, no, here you we think go. think it's going to end and it's sort of a little bit on the long side and it presents this sort of final threat that I don't think warrants this, this larger constant constant displaying of sex that goes on and I think people might look at this film being a, a story of a woman like w w wandering her way through the realm of men and wonder if this is a different type of story about feminist ideologies of women and I don't think this film is that I think it unfortunately lets itself down by focusing on that too much I think the film is sex obsessed and it, and it just sort of takes the film down a notch for me and I, I left feeling just a little bit icky uh, yeah, I think I, I think I do disagree there. I think I yeah. think I do think it's about. I think it is a feminist movie. I, I saw a lot of it, but do you see a bit of Barbie in there? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. That's but, totally but, but there. The sex. I I never found it icky. Actually, I found it. It was like it kind of empowering. It was reclaiming her space and reclaiming a part of her that is constantly being commodified and used. Literally, it's about, yeah. Yeah, at one point. And I, and I think. Even in the scenes in Paris, like I never felt, I never felt it was leery. I felt that all the joke and the observation was always on the men. And it was the commentary was on the men. I, I felt like that, and I felt like this. She, the circumstance in which she found herself, you know, there was no sort of. She didn't suffer. She was almost devoid of that. She was able to analyze the process through which a woman's body goes 
in a very very male society. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I, I see. Uh, no, for me, I, I never found it. I never found it icky. Yeah. I never found it icky. And, I, and um, also, Max McCandles isn't possessive. I mean, he loves her. He wants no. to marry her, but like, he's not. He's not an icky guy. I think. Um... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. No, I, 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 I just think this is also like a great comedic tool. To- definitely. It's and definitely I, there. For a lot of it, I felt it, it, it I, is I, funny. Also, you've got to remember, like, I also respect Emma Stone as an actress. And I think she's, I mean, she might be a producer on this. I'm not sure. But she, you know, at the ultimate, it's, it's her who's, you know, revealing herself in these in these sex scenes. And I think I, I always felt like, oh, this is an empowering thing for Bella. Like this, this is, this is Bella. I never, I never got the sense that she was, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I never got the sense she's being taken advantage of or it no, was leery. Just neither. like, I just thought like, this is, this is a witty telling of that. Yeah. It's more that like, I don't think it, it, it goes on to explore anything beyond what it does in the first half. And I found it ultimately mm. quite re- repetitive. We don't go on to, to like, as Bella evolves, I think there's a really distinct switch in Bella when she meets the older woman and the, and the cynic who introduces her to philosophy. Yeah. And she sort of takes on this whole new role. I thought it's really funny and it's yeah. a distinct sort of like before and after. And I'm not saying that because that revelation happens, the relationship should, to sex should change. But I almost wonder if within that coming of age tale and what Emma Stone does, the performance and how she evolves it, should come a more interesting analysis of sex itself. There's nothing really to do with desire in itself from the female perspective and like how, how women are approaching sex. It just feels like something odd to me. And I did just feel like it, it feels just icky and leery and slightly perverse around it. But doesn't she actually have a... But doesn't she end up being intimate with... A friend, another woman at the, the the brothel. Yeah, and I found that very underexplored. I, but that's I felt like that those interactions with other women and providing context for them in a brothel really underserved and unaddressed. It was all yeah. basically shown through the context of men's, I thought, fantastical impressions of a brothel. Hmm. And I know it's again like the story isn't trying to answer that, but then I'm wondering why some of these sex scenes, particularly in the brothel with the father and the sons and hmm. men crawling on the floors, which I know is a joke on the men. Yeah, yeah. I just started to question it in Paris. Mm. That's the only thing for me. I actually loved everything we yeah. said about like the way in which she dressed sex and her discovering it. Kind of like, um, kind of like, and I mean, this is the funny way, like kind of like how a, a horny dog would stream their consciousness yeah. out aloud and verbalize it. Um, it just, the more it went on, the more I was like, it, it's a shame that I felt like it, it, it just needed to do so much with it because it ultimately mm. didn't become relevant to Bella's story to me. Mm. And I'm just started thinking like, why are we still, why are we still doing this? Yeah. But, like all in all, I had a wonderful, wonderful time with this film. I think it is a bit long. Yeah. I think there's a couple of, I think uh, a couple of sections which I could, I could lift out in the first viewing. I thought Alexandria section, mm. for me, could have just been taken out. I thought the, the sort of, it's, it's a moment where Bella sort of 
recognizes and learns about wealth inequality and his understanding of the position that she's in and that other people aren't as fortunate for her as, as her. And I thought that section was short, a little bit clunky, a little bit heavy-handed, and could have been done in a different way, or just basically not been addressed at all. And would have made I think the film's two hours twenty, and probably could have brought the film run down a bit, especially with that final act, yes. which is a little bit roped in, which I kind of knew had to happen at some point. Yeah, but you know, it, it was there, and it sort of came in at the end. I think uh, I agree. Probably getting it down to two hours would have been good. The um how good's Mark Ruffalo as well, right? Mark Ruffalo, Comic just timing. completely coming to his own. I listened to an interview with Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo, you know, self-congratulating each other and what yeah. you're doing in this movie is just so oh, incredible, Ruffalo, you know. I wanted to say... I mean, whoa, where was that performance? The Hulk, you know. You I know, wanted, like, I you was, gotta sort of... And your guy, your guy says... We talked about how it's like what we had was a really great long rehearsal period yes, where we just got to be weird and free and behave like animals. I would fucking love to be a fly on a wall in a Yorgos Lanthimos yeah, yeah. rehearsal space where they get to deconstruct everything because I think it would be fascinating. Um, it, Lisbon, the dancing scene, amazing. I thought yeah. Willem Dafoe in particular, it's one of my favourite Willem Dafoe roles yeah. I've seen him do in a There's really a great long time. they like, you know, they don't think he's going to be well enough to turn up to something. They're like, are you well enough? And he's like, I've taken three shots of cocaine <laughs> yeah. and heroin for my knees. <laughs> yeah. like that. It's brilliant. They have this sort of weird discussion about whether or not he's able to have sex. He's like, I'm a eunuch, you fool. It would take enough power to power the whole of London to get me to have sex. <laughs> he's Scottish, though. He's trying yeah, to be Scottish. He is yeah, yeah. Scottish, yeah. Um, um, okay, well, we've got some some emails on poor things. I feel like I focus too much on the sex. I just wanted to focus on something that no, I, get you. I felt was, I, I mean, was I weird to me. It, I, I, t- I totally see it, but just it did stand out to me. Talia had kind of prefaced, you know, that she found it icky, and that probably was running through my mind. She also said that when she watched it, she was struggling to wonder why she why she was struggling with it, and she said she realized about two thirds into the movie that she was recognizing the male gaze as a presence in her mm. voice and she felt it didn't feel distinctively female it mm. felt like a male i'm not saying it's italian's words like a, a male's perspective on sex mm. it's it's not necessarily my point i just feel like you you, you sex was such a key part of something yeah. that runs throughout bring me bring me home as to why that why that's mean. so important i I'd also i do agree that the brothel could be misconstrued as being aestheticized in the wrong way like the kubrickian floor you know, with the, and, and the way it's kind of, you be careful. I mean, they cover the parental, the marital, yeah. and the professional. Like, there's this moment where she's like, we own our own means of production. And that's yeah. really funny. And you can see they're like listing, moving a woman yeah. into all of these different realms. And it and it and it's being tested. She's great. The, the, Bella, Baxter, Bella Baxter, everything I do. Why can't we go there, Duncan Wedderburn? Yes, yeah. Anyway, um, Sonny writes in and says, hi, George. Just to me, this one. No, hi, George. I hope you're well. I finally saw Poor Things over the weekend. I absolutely loved it. Um, I, I was corresponding with Sonny about Poor Things previous to this, and she says, I, I, you said it would be great, and I absolutely could talk about this movie for hours. So below, I've just copied in the review uh, I, uh, of my thoughts. Who's this from, sorry? Sonny. Sonny, thank you. Thank you. I mean, it could be Sonny, but I'm saying Sonny because he's got two ends in it, so I'm going to say Sonny. Okay. She says, Poor Things, in capitals, is a Renaissance-esque, sexually charged, comic comical and unique piece of art every single shot just had me asking how on earth did you make all this exist stunning it's so special and beyond stunning to perceive that it just befuddles me how they made it all very real very emotional and truly brilliant this one managed to do something in film that is simply not done anymore and that's create something entirely new you cannot compare this to anything else that i'm now yeah uh compare this to anything else and i'm now sat here thinking where does yorgos go from here the music in this completes this paint painting puzzle this 
puzzle matching levels with the shock, the sex, and the pain. It's all gorgeous. These characters were extremely raw, full characters. You need to go into this. Uh, you, you need you need to go into this piece with no fear, no judgment, just like Bella. And lucky for us, every single cast member delivered. Um, you had some of them playing a type you've seen them play out before and others playing polar opposite, like Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Uh, what's so wonderful about this movie is how every stage of Bella's outer and inner growth is mimicked and reflected by stage, costume, and color grading. Every track of this journey, every track of this is a journey. It's a pure epic where you are bathed in shamelessness, innocence, and adolescence, and then slowly drowned in the darkness, obsession, and reality of the other side of life, which is a joy to watch, weirdly, but also heartbreaking as you see Bella's eyes begin to lay on the hard truths of the world. I totally didn't notice initially the switch from cut from black and white to color because mm. it was so thematically relevant to what yeah. was happening. I just found Lisbon vibrant yeah. because it was vibrant, not because it switched to color. And then I was like, oh my God, we're in color now. Isn't yeah. this great? But it, it just worked so seamlessly for me and not heavy handed like that. You can't, a lot of films could do that transition quite heavy handedly. Poor Things is bizarre, intense. It's sex positive. It's about adventure and the it's world. definitely sex positive. And, and judgment and love in a way I can truly not grasp and get to write down on paper. Every person involved in this could outdid themselves and a masterpiece is the only real way to describe it you'll never forget it and you'll question so much it's an outstanding feat in filmmaking it's frankenstein-esque and the ultimate journal of a woman having life with strength and vitality and instinct no matter how strange things might seem or how grotesque a man might be 10 out of 10 nice. all the best sonny um just another thing like so sonny sonny we, we uh, yeah. go from to baby baby gabbling to the discovery of sexual pleasure while she's still in my eyes very much a young girl and not a teenager and we're introducing oh, really? fruit into body parts, right? She, yeah, she was. She was babbling and, and sort of not articulate like a, like a teenager I would be. She was like, then you have Mark Ruffalo's character, who's always very funny mm. and not. I never found him interesting. Always very funny. Then climbing in her window, watching her masturbate, yeah. touching herself, and him now being literally sexually on her. And it's not ever considered to be dangerous or or perverse it's kooky and funny and charming but i think that's because bella doesn't see, can't can't see it that way so she she, she doesn't she doesn't know that that's inappropriate so she has to learn that yeah but as an audience member i'm i'm, I'm making a big age jump here and the film's not the film's not telling yeah. me that this is something that's weird and i'm sitting here being like okay yeah we're just we're just going for it she's still young but she's now and i, I just a little bit like we can address this not really ickiness Adam has also seen Poor Things, and he says, I saw Poor Things last night, and man, I've been truly stunned since. Yeah. It's insanely well done. I completely understand how this film could be perceived in other ways, but taking a pinch of salt and looking at Lanthimos's work as more metaphorical seems to be the way to go. Emma Stone is me mesmerizing as Bella, Willem Dafoe is something of a scientist himself, and Mark Ruffalo <laughs> definitely turned into the Hulk when he yells some profanity in Paris. Yeah. It's zany, creepy, beautiful, and twisted. I wouldn't label it a 10 out of 10, but that's more down to it being such a niche watch. In that sense, I couldn't watch this film or share it with anyone else for fear they'd be baffled or at the state of artsy cinema. I was worried going in, felt like I was shaken and furiously over, felt like I was shaken around furiously over the next 2.5 hours yeah. and then walked out smiling and saying, I loved it. Yeah. I think it's a lot more approachable than the other Lanthimos I've seen. I can't yeah. speak for the ones I haven't, but I- It's I, also, I, sorry, take him it is the next stage of his career, doing totally. something completely different. And I was like, well, whatever it is, however you feel, it is bafflingly different. I think I think people who listen to our show should 100% seek it out and see it. Mm. It's really, really impressive in if, if for its cinematic qualities and its storytelling. So that's Just brilliant. That's a couple of people's thoughts on Poor Things. But if you have seen Poor Things and would like to send us your thoughts, 
send them in to hello at pulpkitchenpodcast.com. Thoughts on sex as well. I've, I've gone on about in it, general. but I would like to... Oh, the, the, the <laughs> yeah. sex, on sex and both things. The sex How do I do it? Yeah. Um, no, like, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see if other people I, ha, ha, had that feeling yes. coming into it. Because it did, it did stay on my mind while I was watching it, despite having an incredible time and laughing throughout. I met someone who said... So was someone at work the other day was like, they saw it and they really liked it. Mm. And for them, it made Barbie a lot worse. Because for them... Totally, I see what you mean. They were like... Oh yeah, Barbie. Yeah. Oh, he's trying to do this stuff, and then Paul thinks comes along, and it makes Barbie look like a bit of a limp, half-assed effort yeah. because it's trapped within a studio film. Mm. And Paul thinks comes along, and basically takes the concept and really runs with it and, and unleashes the genius and sees how weird it can be. And I'm like, yeah, I do kind of see that. You wonder if you gave Barbie to like Lanthimos or yeah. Guillermo del Toro. A man, which sounds. Do you want to see Barbie like... go working in a brothel? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that would be interesting. That would be really. And that's funny. what Paul thinks basically does. Yes. And, and, is, and isn't there there's and, a difference between but also a, there's a similarity a model between, and a baby a, a different yeah but there's a similarity between I think Ken and Mark Ruffalo's performance you know Ryan Gosling in, yes. the, in the same yeah. way of man child frustrated Ken's ultimately redeemed yeah Ruffalo not so much it's a great moment when she like first goes out in Lisbon in Lisbon Lisbon with are you okay <laughs> in Lisbon without Mark Ruffalo and she just basically starts doing all the things that she'd quite want to do which is like just walk around discover see things yeah. she sees like the first like horrible things for the first yeah. time and she just eats like 10 pastel donata yeah. and she gets to this like famous rooftop of Lisbon and at the end of it she just goes yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just throws it all up which is a really funny gag um, literal gag. Anyway, um, I'd like to see more of this chapter of Lanthimos's yeah. career, more of this kind of psychedelic oh, yeah. weirdness. Absolutely. Um, who shot Poor Things? I should really know. Stand by. Shot by Robbie War Ryan, who did American Honey, Fish Tank, and Medusa Deluxe, Red Road, Lots of Catch Me Daddy. Films about women yes. coming of age. Yes. That was Poor Things. Let us know your thoughts. Zooms in poor things. Great, great fish eyes in poor things. We finished. Wonderful. Yeah, we finished. Okay, guys, that was a bonus. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode of Pulp Kitchen. Don't forget we post new episodes of this show every, every single Wednesday. Wednesday. We will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, Bye for now. Bye.